Schnoo! And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, everyone, is Bahraini Arabic for what? In honor of all the weird things that have happened in the past week. Uh, and the season hasn't even started yet. We will get to all of that in a second. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm good. I am shocked that Formula One is back. Uh, for some reason, it is just... I We have waited so long for these new cars, these new regs. I've been watching so much of testing. But I can't believe there's a race happening in a few days. It's crazy. Yes. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, I am shaken by the fact... I guess I had not seen a picture of uh nikita mazepin with his father dimitri and so i did not realize the situation there um but that they're clones yes yes what the (laughs) fuck am i looking at drew look at this uh wow wow it's the same haircut yeah it's the same guy (laughs) i hate it I hate it. This is have you, this was, have you not watched Drive to Survive season four yet? Uh, I have not. I'm I'm gonna watch closer to when we record our show. You can always tell there's a Mazepin on because they have brooding Russian music on. Like oh no. like he, like oh here no. come here come the evil Fuck. bosses. <laughs> Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. Welcome to the 2022 Formula One season in effect. If you are new to Formula One itself, we've got an episode just for you. You just missed it. You can go back to episode 178. That's our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So we will get you up to speed, so to speak, in only two hours. Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, every month over there, we release bonus podcasts. Uh, and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Yeah, it looks like we're probably going to dive straight into Drive to Survive. Um, Maybe only split it into two podcasts this year we're kind of talking about. It mightn't be dense enough in a way. For us to do the three, I've already gone through the whole uh, shebang. Yeah, you um, suggested that, and it just blew me away because yeah. 2021 was the best season of Formula One I've ever seen. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's almost that. Well, I don't want to burn good uh, patron only pod, but it's it's almost as if the story was so good in the season that there wasn't much subtext for them to really go into. Interesting. Like, Interesting. You kind of okay. know a lot of it. Um, so we're gonna get around to that. What was the? I, I literally forgot what we did for the last patron. Grand Grand Prix driver. That's what it was. Grand Prix yes. driver. There's bunches of them there. Um, yeah. It's a terrible name, but a very fascinating uh, look at just how quickly a Formula One team can nosedive into the ground. Feels like ancient history now because we are we are several eras removed for it. Um, that's why I'm so excited about this weekend because it's just it's a whole new dawn of a whole new era in F1, um, and we have a dawn of a whole new era of title sponsors because we got some extra title sponsors since uh, the start of the season. Uh, you can head over to Patreon.com/shiftf1 to get your <laughs> your sponsor stuck on the front of our podcast, and we've got some <laughs> real tasty morsels <laughs> added to the list here some familiar names some new names i've actually reversed the order this year so we're going with the newest quick uh first so shout out to all of our title sponsors biker loves mickeys 
Ash and Bixler. Is it Bixler, Bixler loves Mickey's? Sorry, but and Bixler. honestly, who doesn't? I, I know. Yeah, you don't have to talk to me about that. Um, Bixler, Bixler loves Mickey's. Um, at, <laughs> it happened, folks. This is our oral Kali. <laughs> at NF1T underscore NFTs. Uh, <laughs> Olivia we're, Evans. We're F1 official now. We have a crypto sponsorship. <laughs> I don't even if think it's is, a real if thing. If this is real. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. even think it's real. Olivia Evans, Team Blackjack, E-Dog, I-Dog, J-Dog, Pyrites Card Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, TelemetryDeck.com, Gnarly Goat, David Mule, Juice Stewart, BPM, that's our good friends at Big Promble Motorsports, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Hashtag Bunny Crimes, Connor McManners, Snigs, Reagans, uh, Reagan, sorry, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, William Rumpf, and Jason Kelly. We should do like a uh, like a like a, a decal, like a printout of like a you know the, whenever oh, like a, a new Stefan f- repeat. Yeah, well, yeah. Whenever a new Forza comes out, everyone always does the Shift F one car. We should do one, but stick all of these names. <laughs> <laughs> you know what Just I've to- noticed is some of these change over yeah. time. Um, which you know. What what's going on behind the scenes there? Is some big sponsor getting to our patrons and then paying them right. to get their name through Is there a reseller market on space on this podcast? It's That's just right. It's hey man, look. If there is, why are we not capitalizing on it? Every time <laughs> every time there's a gray market, there's unrealized value somewhere. Talk talk to your local <laughs> fertilizer company. Ah, great transition, Danny, because we are about to get to the news. Speaking of fertilizer, um, we had (laughs) mentioned in the preseason primer um, that we didn't know who was racing in the second seat at the Haas F1 team. Uh, Haas's Russian driver Nikita Mazepin lost his seat at the team days before the season was due to start. Uh, This is, of course, a result of the Russian war in Ukraine. Uh, Haas was also sponsored in part by Mazepin's dad, Dmitry Mazepin, a Russian oligarch who literally met with Vladimir Putin the day of the Russian invasion Mm, and has since been sanctioned. Just lunch. Don't don't read (laughs) into it too much, Drew. They were Uh, just, you know, catching up. Yeah. Uh, Haas immediately removed the sponsor logos from their cars, altered their livery, uh, and now have a new driver. A hearty welcome back to Kevin Magnuson. Who saw this comment? This is, this is, we were like guessing who might come back and I'd, K-Mag was He really just like, was dad's favorite. Oh my God. <laughs> Zero doubt now. Yeah, I know. What do you think Grosjean thinks about this? That was my first thought. I was like, <laughs> oh man, this is going to crush Romain. He's had a better time well in, in India. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think like K-Mag's like dabbled, right? But like, I I think if we could somehow harness the joy on Magnuson's face whenever he does interviews, uh, the power that comes from that, we would probably be able to get off Russian petrochemicals. He is just <laughs> like beaming with joy every time they talk to him. He's like, I know, I can't believe it. He was like, yeah, you know, I thought that was the end of my career. And, you know... I put a brave face on it, but boy, am I delighted to be back! <laughs> and that, like, yeah, and, and he only talked to him like he was as shocked as anyone. He got he got a call two days earlier, and they basically can you imagine fi- that? And it's a multi-year it. contract. It's is a, it? It's, it's, it's yeah. 
Yes. That is and can crazy. You imagine just, hey, um, can you uproot your entire life for, for <laughs> a, a year plus, two years plus uh, at the drop of a hat, please? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Do you, So obviously, nobody could have predicted there would be this horrible war. Uh, and I mean, I know there were like there were warning signs, right? But like nobody, nobody, except like, for all the people that did, yeah. nobody was expecting a a mass invasion out. of yeah. yeah. And so, there's no way this could have been like, you know, planned by design. But certainly, the way this all has unfolded feels a bit grift adjacent as far as Haas and Eurocali's oh. relationship. <laughs> well, like it's exactly what? you can you can take it exactly as cynically as we all expected that it was. It was Russian oligarch coming in, buying a stake in the team, putting his son in. Yeah. Right. And then now but, that he's gone, the team is like, all right, back to what we wanted. But the team uses it as a bridge loan to get to the new era is 100%. the hundred percent blows my oh, mind. Yeah. Yeah. Is that they underwrote, they had the Mazapins <laughs> underwrite one of the saddest F1 campaigns, like legitimately sad. It was painful to watch yeah. last year. Uh, while they just gave up on developing their car and tried to figure out what they're going to do next year. And that's that. Then they terminate the deal. Like it's it's karmic the, in a way. I'm watching as well. I'm not sure if you're keeping an eye on. And this is really going to annoy a lot of people. <laughs> but I don't know if you're watching the uh, what's going on in the Premier League. But like like the the twenty years of insane financial corruption at Chelsea FC. Like the 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 money that they got to buy their way to success off the back of an oligarch, which annoyed people twenty years ago when it happened, and all that you know. That they've had their assets frozen by the UK government, and now we're in a in a really depressing spot for those fans. Feel bad for the fans, but also like there's a degree of like karmic justice happening here that is is crazy, and it's very funny to watch what happens. It's not fu- it's not funny because it's off the back of a horrific illegal invasion of a sovereign nation, but it you know crocodile tears for the Mazapins who just basically funded you know, like you said has a survival for one year and it, and it gets better because uh a week ago march 9th autosport has a uh, an article euro kali the um uh, mazapin's sponsor seeks sponsorship repayment from haas f1 team mm. um which now with the sanctions literally can't happen that the you know american or uk entity that haas f1 is they can't give money to <laughs> the Mazepins or this quasi Russian state owned fertilizer company. I don't know that they're ever going to get that money back. So you're right. The hostages like used this money to finance their, you know, new car and then, you know, are walking away with it. And the, like it all emerges from the fact that Steiner realizes this is narrativizing excessively, I'm sure. But like Steiner is very clear, like two or three years ago that, the concept that the Haas is operating under was like fundamentally flawed for reasons he couldn't like put his finger on, but like the, it was just the performance was like un, an unsolvable riddle. And so, yeah, the giving up on developing that to like look to the new era and they find this pay driver situation. And then at the end of it, they bring back Gunther's son. Uh, <laughs> like is the, 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 the Not driver actual he, son just for people who are new to the sport. His, the son he wish he had. Yeah, so we're, we're making jokes about the fact that early drive to survive seasons, the like 
Gunther Steiner had like a put upon annoyed dad energy in his relationship with the drivers. And like Roman was kind of like, that's my knucklehead son. And then it was like gallant K Mag. And so K Mag coming back is just a very funny cherry on top of all this. It's great. Yeah. yeah and so. And can I get to the final thing on just the, the 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 swap and where that leaves the Mazepins is that there was a degree like last year was a horrific campaign for Nikita Mazepin. He was constantly you know spinning out uh, on his own. He you know the the interviewer he's you know crying and you know he, he just had a bad year, a really bad year. And I think the entire year there was the the hope in the future that look this is the cost of what's going to happen when the new regs come in and, and I'll be able to drive a car and hopefully it's somewhere in there. <laughs> he doesn't, like, this might be the most pitiful career in contemporary F1 history. Like, this Apparently is, he found out he was fired from the press release. That's crazy. Like, yeah. we laugh about people like, you know, there are, there, are, there are drivers that have come and gone at F1 that have had silliness happen to them. Pastor Maldonado gets brought up. Take Nui gets brought up. These drivers who just were in the wrong car or were paid drivers or not doing great or whatever it was or came up and did. Maldonado won a race. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nikita Mazepin, I think, well, there's a great Drive to Survive episode where I talk about how he finally beat Mike, Michael Schumacher, kind of failing to mention the fact that Schumacher retired. Um, he was the worst driver we've had in F1 in years. And I do not miss him. Uh, I will not miss him. Outside of no. everything else, outside of the politics, uh, you know, happy and for the him to because of the politics. A, but a also, terrible person. So I, will, yeah. I won't miss him either. Let's talk about Kevin Magnuson, though. I like him. Uh, we didn't get to do a, a driver profile like we did in the primer, so I'm going to do it here. He's a 29-year-old Danish driver, uh, son of Jan Magnuson. If you are a, uh, <laughs> I guess if you are joining us from, you know, 30 years ago, uh, American yeah, Hey, what's cars. up? I'm right here. <laughs> uh, Kevin was with the team for four years at Haas until the Madsens came in. Uh, he actually started, though, in 2014 with McLaren. Got third place in his very first race, but unfortunately never really found a rhythm and was booted from that team after a year. Didn't they vacate I, that podium? Did they? This is the, like to in my head. What stands out is the idea that he had this blessed like premiere in the McLaren, and then like the car the car got DQ'd or something. Oh no! And <laughs> it was like. It was like two roads diverge. It's sliding doors of K. Magnuson's career. <laughs> uh, sorry, I might be wrong about that, but I remember, I remember that impressive start, and then a week later, listening to you guys being like, uh, "So, update about that exciting debut from Kevin Magnuson." Wow. Um. Anyway, he spent a year not in Formula One, uh, and then came back the first time uh, with Renault. Uh, before moving on to Haas. So um, I, I like Kevin. He's a fun driver to watch. He's great in interviews. He doesn't let anyone and anyone push him around. Infamously, he was doing a post-race interview <laughs> when another driver, Nico Hulkenberg, who was angry with something he did on track, walked up while Kevin was talking to a reporter and uh, called him the most unsporting driver on the grid. Without missing a beat, Kevin replied with a diplomatic, suck my balls, which really tells you all you need to know. Can you, uh, like, remember when Gasly came back, um, or Gasly, sorry, went to, to then Toro Rosso um, uh, after he lost his Red Bull seat, and he he was driving with a sort of a, 
what have I got to lose kind of attitude. Think uh-huh. about K-Mag now. K-Mag just got like... He drives like that all the time. Yeah, and, and now he's coming back with like... There was a degree of pressure on him in that last year because we kind of didn't know which driver was going to go. In the end, it was a moot point because they both ended up getting kicked. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. But because uh, neither of their fathers owned a fertilizer company. But I think like... Think about the like the positive like phoenix from the flames power that the, he's going to have now and also surely this is going to mean like he's going to just be the chummiest with mick schumacher like what a great pairing the two of them yeah. like that's that's terrific mm. you don't think so rob's not nothing sure. i've ever seen about K- like kevin magnuson makes me think i want him as a teammate like <laughs> that is the like that's the thing if if i'm if I'm giving you advice to Mick Schumacher, it's like you need to destroy that man. <laughs> like you need like his F1 career crawled out of its grave. You need to put it back in. It's uh, a great benchmark, isn't it? Because now yeah. we have we have Mick Sch- Schumacher and Mazepin. There's 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 his. You can see, yeah, you'll be able to benchmark both of them against each other really strongly. Because Mick's had a season, but obviously came back. We have seasons worth of uh, performance to to judge him off. So it'll really show how good Mick is. Um, and kind of how good Magnuson is. Uh, by the way, I just I did look it up. Magnuson wasn't dis- disqualified at Australia in his debut. Ricardo was. Oh right. That's, um, yeah. So that that was the issue. It was the like I think Daniel Ricardo uh, like had this like amazing start at his home Grand Prix, and I think that was the start of the uh, Danny Rick Australia curse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That, he, did he get second in a Red Bull? Is that it? Yeah, and was that was that okay. his? Yeah, I don't think he won it. But you're right; he's always had a real t- tricky time in Melbourne. It was that year his he just gobbled up his front wing on the yeah. start finish straight. Remember, <laughs> like at the start of the race, he drove a hundred yards and smashed his car up. Might well, be the one thing fastest. We, Sorry, go on. we don't n- yet know about um, the Magnuson Mick Haas deal is whether their car will be any good. Uh, but we may have some indication from testing. So uh, just to recap, we did three days of testing in Spain and then uh, three days in Bahrain. Uh, This is the period uh, before the Formula One season where cars, uh, teams get to run their cars, dial things in, see how the the new upgrades are going. Um, We had a little more time than we usually did because the 2022 regulations are so intense. So the first testing section that three days in spain was more like a shakedown mm. um but and it uh, really three, was this year really really was like yeah so we saw a lot of differences um coming from uh the teams to upgrade their cars just between the two tests um haas though they their gear arrived late to the bahrain test so um, they thankfully were allowed extra time mm. so they would the the rest of the teams would pack up and go and uh, just like that cake song, <laughs> K Mag is out there, you know, racing uh, into the night. Yeah, they were, uh, they were doing post show wrap ups on the F1 TV channel, and you'd hear they go, Oh, that was Mick Schumacher. <laughs> right. <laughs> Still doing laps, yeah. Uh, so, testing, it's tough to tell from testing who's going to be faster than who during the yeah. season. Um, you know, we have a list of fastest times from testing, but you never know if the teams have dialed the car up for a full lap or how much fuel was on board that kind of thing sandbagging Um, don't forget about sandbagging yeah so teams generally don't want to show off their true pace because they want to keep the other teams guessing uh but what testing can do is sort of give you 
a hint to like a broader trend. So for instance, the top three teams from last year seem like they will probably be the top three teams for this year. Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari all seemed to be able to do a lot of laps, which is a good indicator of car reliability. Uh, and we're generally fast. Uh, we should point out that, you know, one of those big upgrades from Spain to Bahrain was with Mercedes. Mm. Uh, they brought a huge modification. Their car basically doesn't have side pods. Uh, and this is fun because so many of the F1 aerodynamic innovations are it's hard to see if you're not, you know, like a huge aerodynamics nerd. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But this one is noticeable. Like the side pods are the big air intakes on either side of the car, sort of where the wings would be on an airplane. Um, and Mercedes has almost completely eliminated them. So their car is instead of like, if you look at it from the top, it's less like a Coke bottle and more just like an arrow or like a tube. Um, yeah. And the big question there is, uh, where is that cooling coming from? Because that's the sort of primary use for that aside from aerodynamic flow but that's less of an issue this year because of the cars not need it yeah using the ground effect yeah like so there are still intakes there they're vertical rather than horizontal which is weird yeah like sort of like um like a harrier or something (laughs) um but the slimmer profile i would imagine reduces a ton of drag because there's just less material to get in the way of the air so it will remains to be seen whether the rest of the aerodynamics on the car work well with the car but um and it does seem like mercedes is one of those teams that's struggling with porpoising yes um pretty badly porpoise yeah porpoising in this case is when the car rocks back and forth um front to back so uh, as it's going along the track, you get this like uh, fluttery vibration. Um, it seems to happen at high speed, and judging from the ways uh, the drivers' heads are bouncing around, it can't be very comfortable. Yeah, I um, actually uh, there's something about this that has has me a little bit concerned. So the porpoising Rob talked about last week is essentially a sort of a a dysregulation with the way ground effect works, where there's a sort of a a a pressure sort of uh, discontingent between the front, yeah, inconsistency between the front and the back of the car, and it, it sort of enters this rocking phase that it sort of <clears throat> can't escape from. Um, happens on the straights when they're going fast. Uh, I was watching a very short documentary. About about um, uh, traumatic brain injuries in sledding sports, in luge and uh, what's the other one? Bobsled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and they were talking about micro concussions, um, which is this uh, the, uh, sort of a, a byproduct of the incredibly strenuous forces like micro stuttering that happens in those sports that like CTE in football or something is easy to spot because you get you know people getting bona fide concussions and that's very readable but people who do luge and uh you know bobsleigh um when they've done a normal run often leave the track or leave the the whatever it's called feeling um like hazy or brain foggy or stuff like that. And they've basically scanned a bunch of people who used to do this sport, which, uh, you know, is, is, is fairly popular in certain parts of the world. And uh, they have uh, issues with their brain because of that sort of like violent shaking that's happened on a micro level. So I was kind of a little bit concerned that like, I wonder if this is also an F1 a little bit. And then when I saw the porpoising stuff, I was like, oh, that really looks like 
like worse almost than what yeah, looks like what's happening on that. Yeah. So I, I'm a little violent. bit concerned that they can get this thing fixed because I don't want to, you know, we've 22, maybe 23 races this year. I, I, I hope even if it's not visible, because some of this is like very visible and I, I'm kind of like reeling a bit at the memes of like, you know, <laughs> putting system of a down over shots of Pierre Gasly <laughs> driving down the straights. Cause I'm thinking like, even if they get rid of it, like I hope it kind of needs to be eradicated almost because that's kind of too much for them. Yeah. I, I mean, like a lot of these sorts of problems in F1, you know, I'm sure the teams are, are going to attack it with everything they've got, but some, and some of these just go away and some of them kind of linger um, mm. you know, and, and persist throughout the season. So, well, uh, I saw George Russell saying like one thing that would fix it would be active suspension. So right. can we have that back, please? Slow, slowing down would also do it, George. So yeah, can, true. Yeah. so that's maybe, I mean, maybe your so car is not too good this year. That is the thing. Like I, like George Russell planted that flag early of like, you know, this might be a safety issue, which to mm. your point, it might be, but also it would be very good news if Mercedes were able to get, some of the ground effects uh, lessened uh, in the technical regulations this year uh, due to the porpoising because, like, they have not, by all accounts, like, managed to build a good car under these uh, regulations. So, like, to a degree, yeah. the porpoising does appear to be uh, a bit reflective of, like, how like how well did you have, an, have a grip on the new technical regulations and the aerodynamic forces you were playing with. It was funny. been a bunch of pieces written about, um, you know, this this came up the last time ground effect was uh, big in F1 as well. Um, and aerodynamicists from that era had different approaches to solving it. Um, but it, this has just not come up in a while because aerodynamicists haven't had to con- confront it. But yeah, it does seem like one of the one of the things you can do is you can tweak the car to lessen the effect, but also you will be giving up some of the ground effect uh, grip that you were depending on, and you'll have a slower car. So um, yeah, it becomes it becomes a real setup problem. Like I suspect a lot of the teams that are suffering from the problem uh, really badly could slow their car down and like lessen lessen the impact of it but then you were basically conceding uh a fair bit of speed to other teams so it's going to be it'll be interesting like i think it's a kind of a race between whether uh technical directors can solve the problem before f1 as a sport kind of needs to figure out how long we're going to let these guys drive in these conditions well mercedes have always been very good at sort of like developing the car throughout the year and they've always always <clears throat> sorry they've also always flown quite close to the sun in terms of like trying to like keep the you know be on the bleeding edge of tech so in a way i'm not surprised that they're they're probably going to try and stick this out maybe performance at the start of the year won't be amazing but um they'll sort of trust their engineers to figure it out and um, i i can't remember exactly how the regs fell in this regard but we do have this sliding scale of aerodynamic time right so mercedes would have gotten the least amount of that yeah. yeah so i wonder if that 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 also happened this year even though it was new cars right i'm pretty yeah, sure yeah yes i think i'm pretty sure it started this year so i, I wonder if that had a factor like if the 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 lesser amount of wind time that they were allowed have wind tunnel time and I'm not sure if CFD is part of that as well, computational fluid, fluid dynamics. Um, but th- that would be interesting if part of the reason why they're having struggle is because of those fair play regulations. Yeah. Well, I wonder if something that really is detectable that well in wind tunnels, because my suspicion is 
this also because there's a there's a uh, suspension component to this as well. Yes, I've exactly. Seen what's yeah. suggested is ways you can approach it, but like at that point, you're kind of talking about track surface to a degree yeah. as well. And so I wonder if this is the this is kind of the sort of thing that slips past you in the wind tunnel uh, because you're close to like a theoretical uh like perfect situation for like the the underside of a car but you take it to a bumpy ass track like <laughs> Bahrain and suddenly you discover all the little <laughs> like it's you turn and over these, a rock and these cars are heavier and all the drivers are saying oh like this this track could be bumpy in the past but it's like you can feel all the bumps now because of these cars, because of the way mm-hmm. they're set up. And also, like, you can see a lot of the cars were staying off the curbs. Like, some of them were happy enough going up there, but a lot of them were really trying not to because of the, you know, the rake of the car in some of these is really pl- sort of, you know, playing with fire a little bit. Like, Mercedes might be as well. Like, you can, I, I'm, I'm not an aerodynamicist, but I'm, maybe you can lift the rake a little bit. The ground effect's not as crazy, and maybe the porpoising doesn't happen as much, but. You know, some of them clearly were worried enough that even on the last day of testing, they were telling their drivers to stay off the curbs. And, you know, last year's track was defined by overtakes off the racing line. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's interesting. It's it's You know, maybe the drive cars will drive closer together. Maybe it'll be overtaking opportunities, but also maybe some of the using the outsides of the racetracks that we were used to in previous years won't be available for some of these drivers, at least early on. Yeah, and, and rake is just the the angle of um, you know how how high the rear of the car is versus the front of the car. Uh, so a lot of these cars, you go back and look at like a uh, twenty twenty car and like a Red Bull, they have an extreme rake. Like the rear of the car almost looks like it's jacked up on a on a jack, uh, but the Mercedes ones are, are much lower. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside from the porpoising stuff, one thing Mercedes does love to do is downplay their own prospects for the mm. season. And that has been out in full force. Uh, you know, maybe don't believe everything you hear on that front, but the porpoising is easy to see. Last year, uh, though, remember last year we were, we were said, oh, they're really sandbagging. And then it was it was close. <laughs> you know? It was close. Red I Bull mean, and Ferrari both look strong. Yeah, uh, Ferrari in particular is notable for how reliable their car was over testing, something that certainly wasn't a given in past seasons. So fingers crossed we'll have a good mix uh, up at the front this year. The yeah. midfield, much tougher to call. McLaren might be up there with the big teams. They might struggle. It's tough to tell right now. Their testing program had a, a, a wrench thrown in it or a spanner in the works. If you're British, <laughs> if you're new to F1, get ready to learn a whole bunch of British English from Not the... Sure yeah commentary not not sure what australians use they might go spanner um because their driver daniel ricardo tested positive for covid just before the test uh he should be back in the car for the race though um but yeah that was landon norris had to take over testing duties which would have been a herculean task uh doing all that driving with on one person but they McLaren had kind of a um, a problem with their brakes overheating, so they didn't do as much running as maybe they could have. Uh, but that's, again, probably something they'll be able to fix. Who knows? Um, or, again, it could be one of those things that plagues them all season. Tough to say. Yeah, his 10 days are up on, on uh, Friday, and that's that's going to be a big ask for Ricardo to be able to, you know, you look, you look at the amount of laps that people, you know, like uh, Carlos Sainz put in and you think like 
practice is going to be not maybe enough for them to get some of the, get him dialed into how the car works. So yeah, he's really going to be struggling. I think that's probably a nightmare scenario for him. Also, you know, Hamilton last year talked a lot about how he really did not recover for a number of races after he got COVID. Um, and it sounds like Daniel Ricciardo was actually quite sick. Like it was, they were talking about how sick he was at the start of the week, not that he had COVID. And then it came out that it was COVID. Um, so we'll have to see if he even makes it. Um, Alpine, jumping ahead later a little bit on the news, but Alpine did uh, weirdly sort of offer up Oscar Piastri. They just got, we thought it was an announcement saying that he's going to, uh, he's going to fill in for him during testing, but it didn't happen. But they were kind of like, hey, in the spirit of, uh, you know, sporting, sporting charity, if you want to use Oscar, knock yourselves out. Um, they've obviously got a pretty stacked deck at McLaren of drivers they could pull from, um, if needs be. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion, like, chances are he'll be back, but there's maybe an outside chance he, he might struggle. Who knows? Stoffel Van Dorn. Let's do it. Oh, my God. Um, Moving on. The A-teams. The A-teams. Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin, Alpha Romeo. They all seem to be capital F fine. The <laughs> Alpha Tauri might be a little susceptible to crosswind. And an Alpine briefly caught fire. But again, uh, tough to tell too much. Williams also, also had... Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Williams also <laughs> had some um, <laughs> some flamage. But they got a lot of running in still. And the drivers seem to like the car, which is, shall we say, a departure from mm-hmm. some of the previous seasons. seasons. Uh, the Haas is also a departure uh, because it didn't seem terrible. Yeah, Kevin Magnussen even set the fastest time of the day on the second day of uh, the Bahrain test. Again, don't read too much into that because they could have been in you know a qualifying setup for all we know. So uh, that may be th- the fastest they can ever go. They were racing at night, so the track temperatures were very different to what everyone else was riding on. So maybe that was part of it too. Yeah, and it's you know the tracks rubbered in. There's no other cars there. Um, but in broad strokes, this doesn't seem like the car is the lemon that it was last year. No, but, you know, shrug. Who looks knows? like Williams looks like the one that maybe has the biggest question mark on it this year. Um, yeah, the, again, the word around the Aston though is also real bad that you could see them. So like all cars sound like they're struggling with a turn in um, just because the added weight. Yeah. But, Low speed. Uh, people were saying that like you'd see the uh, Aston guys were visibly uncomfortable trying to like crank that thing into slow corners. Um, though I was, you know, People commenting on the uh, on the testing also said that Mercedes also seemed to be like legit struggling. Like there's hiding your pace, and then there's appearing to wrestle with the car. Um, and so I, I do. I think there are some big question marks uh, there because it seems like they were doing more than just like minding their pace. Um, just one thing I wanted to to note as well is hmm. some of the drivers talking about uh, just what it feels like to follow in these cars regarding the overtaking. Yeah. Um. So really consistent. I think I think Norris was the first to put it into these words, and then other drivers basically co-signed it. But basically, um, so following is much, much easier um, when you're beginning, like reeling people in from a few seconds back. Way less turbulence. Uh, your car handling doesn't uh, like completely fade away. But because there's less uh, like turbulence, because there's th- there's less drag. Um, when you are pulling up like on somebody's like you know tail, you don't get much slipstream. 
Uh, Norris is like, it's very weird. You get a lot of, you get a really good run following somebody uh, a few seconds back. But once you close into that, like overtaking strike range, usually like these drivers are used to like getting a big toe uh, Mm. from being close behind. That basically has disappeared because the cars just aren't generating that much like drag and turbulence. And so, uh, you know, sort of commenting that on the one hand, like it's trying to make it easier to get into duels uh, and like follow closely, but it might actually still not make overtaking any easier because you lose that last little shove uh, at the end. Now we'll hmm. see the difference DRS makes, but they also noted that you feel the DRS a lot less now too, because again, mm. the cars are less draggy. So that, that tail, that, that uh, wing snapping open doesn't transform the, uh, the, the car's characteristics the way it did in previous years. So um, it seems like it's overall good news for ability to like sustain like challenges for position on track. Uh, but I do wonder if it's going to make it tougher to close the deal. And you combine that with the fact that all the cars seem to struggle uh with understeer particularly Mm. entering like slower Mm -hmm. corners um slower corners the end of a straight is kind of where overtaking has been like that that's where that bread has been buttered in f1 for years it's funny how like uh, yeah a lot of these things come up and i'm like thinking okay is that just like uh, is this my old f1 dinosaur brain not being able to reconcile with like the new way that things what like maybe there'll be more battles with more than two cars or you know maybe tire strategy becomes more of a thing then because that's what closes the gap or maybe overtakes happen on parts of the tracks we weren't expecting before yeah. it's like it even after testing it's you can really tell that like this first race is just going to answer so many questions and probably you know spit up a bunch of new ones too yeah i mean the the qualifying is when the gloves come off so that's really what i'm looking forward to because then there's no reason to sandbag um, but yeah, fingers crossed for a fun season. Um, that's all I've got from testing. Uh, did you guys see that Vanity Fair photo shoot? Oh I my God, I, I watched the video. I, yeah, George, I George, George Russell bold. looks like an Elden Ring boss. I thought it was bold <laughs> to let Wes Anderson uh, direct a uh, F1 photo shoot, uh, but I'm so glad he did. Oh my God, they're incredible! I will link that in the show notes if you if you want to see <laughs> some of the best photos of F1 drivers I've ever seen. Yeah, wow, wow. George Russell looks like he took the 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 sort of uh, he took like a sort of a large coat from like a sort of an eight foot tall regal woman. You know what I mean? Looks like like a large queen. The thing it's- I can't get over with it is that. If you follow like F1 social media and all that, all these guys like just by virtue of being trim, athletic, yeah, um, and also like already with tons of sponsorship deals with different clothing labels and such, like these guys generally look fashionable if like casual, uh, fashionable. Yeah, it is so funny seeing them gussied up by Vanity Fairs like Haute Couture. Uh, like measure of what makes someone trendy, it just cracked me up because it's like, no, 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 sorry, you have to turn in, uh, like all your all your regular, uh, you know, expensive street clothes. We now have this runway shit. Pierre Gasly looks like he's about to sing me a song on the deck of a ship. Yeah, they just went, oh, you're French. Let's dress you up like Z- Steve Zizou or something. It was, it's a very like Ocon. I don't know, I like. Okay, I don't God, know I got what, away with it. Yeah, <laughs> they just 
they, they by that stage they had just the, all they had used all the clothes they had with wide enough neck holes. So they just like gave him a white shirt because they're like, this is all we have. The rest of these will not fit on you. You all have massive necks. <laughs> Do you want me to wear a base layer with this? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he looks like he could uh, be in a 90s boy band yeah. instantly. Um, yes, very, very good. I will link that in the show notes. Everyone should take a look. Um, uh, Rob, a little bit uh, on this side of the pond, news wise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, so Michael Andretti really wants to get into F1, uh, and we saw some things, like last year, there were rumors that he was going to take on the Alfa Romeo team. Uh, I think he said a bit more about that in the offseason, that like it was this close to a done deal, and then the Alfa Romeo wow. team basically, according to Andretti, tore up the terms at the last minute and like at sign they were like so obviously you know the conditions that we attach are uh we take your money we run our team and fuck you uh at which point the deal was basically off (laughs) um but yeah so andretti really wants to get in he's taking some preliminary steps uh his father mario was talking about you know obviously if um you know if they make it into the sport uh they're going to run an american driver uh you know best would be on colton herda and interestingly enough um colton herda just signed an f1 uh development deal uh with mclaren uh which why you got to do Patricio award like that? What do you <laughs> <laughs> Patricio is just going to be seething. Uh, but it is, it is important to remember that like the super license uh, requirements are so onerous for drivers coming up in the American open wheel system mm. that like having McLaren do a deal like this is probably a precondition to getting an F1 driver uh, qualified, an American F1 driver qualified by the time uh andretti were able to enter the sport um the thing is it's also been striking how and andretti commented on this the complete lack of help or interest from other f1 teams right uh in having an american organization uh join join the sport and there were there were some quotes um Gosh, this is a few weeks ago, but let me pull up here. Uh, okay, so Total Wolf asked about Andretti. Andretti is a name, that's for sure. And the American market is important, but every team that is joining needs to be accretive. That means needs to add value. Thank you, Toto. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't know what accretion meant, but business school wolf. Uh, was here for us. And it's not only by paying the $200 million entry fee, which Wolf supports. Like, this is... A lot of teams are like, we should just waive that requirement. And nope, absolutely not. Uh, not. It's not only by paying the $200 million entry fee, but it needs to demonstrate, in my opinion, what it can do for the other teams for F1 and the FIA. Only then the sport will grow. Yeah. Um, what does that you, mean? You can, you can see why a lot of teams would not want this. Um, oh, yeah. Like, it would be a disaster. Like, Haas Delusion, would become... Right? Like, Haas is already, t- t- you know, 
I do not think they have grabbed the American, the the massive growth in America by the bullhorns over at Haas, even though they're an American team. Um, maybe having the Russian flag on their front wing last year didn't mm. help with that. Being um, a fake American mm. team, though, is also, like, it's worse than yeah. being an American team. Yeah, like, kind of. Like, because Andretti are talking about, you know, you've got, like you said, I mean, Pat Ward, Colton Herda, like, there's a, there's a lot. Fronting American drivers, I think, would make a... A big impact. And it's not just because, like, it's not because there's some sort of nationalist backbone to F1. It's more that there has been a dearth of American drivers, particularly if in F1, uh, currently and historically, it's kind of like a, like a, like a thing, right? So, yeah, I, like, I would be excited to see that. Not that I'm not excited to see K Mag and Schumacher in that, in the Haas, but, you know, I think that would be pretty cool in the same way that, like, you know, it was cool having an Irish team back when I was a kid, you know, and having a Northern Irish driver. Like it, it does make a difference to fan bases. I think it's, I think it's a weird thing that like I feel. So this discourse is so old in F one that like I remember the last time they tried. I'm not even talking about USF one. Who was the American driver? Was his name literally Scott Speed that they were trying yeah. to make happen? Yeah, um, and he was fine. There's nothing like. You know, I didn't find anything offensive about him, but like it just if you're an American F1 fan, you're aware of how high the bar is and you have zero interest in like just if an American organization joins and it's like mediocre, that's not going to move the needle. Nobody's going to no. be like, well, I was a supporter of McLaren, but now, <laughs> now that there's a dog shit American team uh, with mediocre drivers in there, I'm going to I'm going to sort of transfer my allegiances uh, there. Um so I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see, like, how do you create an American team if that's going to be the template? Because there's a reason every team concentrates in the UK, right? Like, it's it's like that is the Silicon Valley of, of F1. And that is because, like, it's a small industry and your talent base is all located in this corridor uh, that you can draw from. I don't know if an American team operating out of the U.S. can can compete on that level. But the other thing is, uh, Andretti is also very antsy. He did say that like they need to close this deal fast for them to get a team on the grid for the 2024 season. So these are the time mm. frames we're talking about. Right. Where, wow. You know, he is. This is not an imminent joining the F1. Joining F1. It is once they know this deal can go through, then. It takes two years to like turn the key yeah. and get the engine running. Um, and this was this is the problem with USF one as well. That project had a lot of momentum behind it, but the canyon between like starting an F one entry bid and then getting a team up and running, it's enormous. Um, but you know, I I hope they make it in. I think more teams would be awesome. I do feel like Andretti has basically read the situation correctly that like, yeah, these other teams don't want a new team in there. Um, and they certainly want their pound of flesh. Well, uh, that's it for the news. Let's take it to the track walk, Danny. Talk yes. about Bahrain. Welcome back to Bahrain. Uh, we have been here now. It's an old timer. There was a time where it was the freshest track. Uh, 2004. Uh, we started here um, and yeah, it's been a, it's now sort of like the staple of the early part of the season. We we had that weird year during the COVID years where we also did the the roundabout, um, was it last year or the year before? I can't even remember where they did the, 
the year before the year before yeah the the long way around um but yeah this is a a fairly typical f1 track in many ways it's uh clockwise it folds in on itself it has a very overtake rich first sector a technical second sector and a let's get the cars going fast again third sector so it fits into a sort of a good framework for most f1 tracks uh 57 laps uh five and a half kilometers basically um and it's a it's a fun track there's some notable things about this one that rear their heads or don't one is wind um this track has got some parts of it that are a little bit higher than uh, others, the back of the track in particular, where you can get these sort of desert winds blowing in um, and causing havoc with the cars. We have gotten a little bit of an indication as to what that will do from the testing, but ultimately we don't know what it'll be like on the race day just because of the way weather works, but also um, when the cars are having to be out at a certain time. So we'll, we'll see if that makes any sort of an effect um in general when i do these track walks we talk a lot about the places in the past where you've had overtakes or where action tends to be um it's a little bit tricky to be sure of that with the new cars and the new regs it might be a little bit different but in general the sort of main overtaking spots for this track are like i said in that first sector particularly turn one and turn four so turn one is at the end of the first of three drs zones on this track um sector the 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 final drs zone is on the uh before the uh, ultimate and penultimate turn and we don't tend to get overtaking there because it's leading into um uh, uh, well, first of all, it's not DRS zone, and also it, it leads into um, two of them. So there's a DRS zone on the start-finish straight down into turn one, which is a fairly sharp right-hander. There's a lot of over, there's a lot of uh, runoff on the outside of there, so you're not crazy penalized if you mess it up. Um, and it's a tight turn leading into a, a reverse turn on the other side, so it's a good spot generally if you can throw the car down the inside and get into that second apex. The only problem is you're basically straight away into a second straight um, down into turn four. And if you remember last year, this is where Verstappen uh, eventually caught up with Hamilton and did the overtake, but he just about did not keep that car on the track. Um which meant that he had to uh, give the place back to Hamilton and then ultimately had sort of like worn out the tires enough that he couldn't close that gap again. Um, So turn four is the other spot because of that sort of back and forth. Now, again, as Rob was saying, DRS is a real unknown this year. Um, I don't suspect there'll be a lot of, uh, you know, I I don't know if we're going to have another part of the track suddenly become an overtaking spot that you could argue that maybe turn eight could open up if the cars are able to follow themselves follow each other a little bit more maybe through turn four if they decide to keep position perhaps through that tight arena section where some people tend to lose a bit of pace though uh, i will i will know the camber gets real weird from four down to uh eight <laughs> and that was one of the things people are commenting about like these cars are right. really sensitive now because the way some team, especially because the way teams are dealing with the porpoising is they're making that suspension rock hard um right. but if the suspension can't flex when the track rolls away from the direction of the car uh, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> so that's interesting because the other side of that coin that I was going to talk about was turn 10. Because 10 in Bahrain is a very 
like eye-catching turn because it is has such a crazy camber. It's down to the right. It's almost like a little corkscrew, like a little mini reverse Laguna Seca. It's like a little little corkscrew down into uh, this sort of straight that's in the middle of the track, which also has DRS, weirdly enough. So I'm wondering if the cars are having trouble with these you mentioned the camber they're also just having trouble in low speed corners but that's also a corner you need to get out of really quick so i'm wondering in race conditions will we see a bit of battling maybe not into that but out of that um especially as they're trying to like you know we might see some spins we might see with drs available there and the cards able to follow each other maybe turn 13 suddenly becomes a place uh, who knows like through 11 and 10 uh, 11 and 12 so it's hard to tell like that's that's my sort of like pie in the sky wishful thinking brain working a little bit um but in general turns one and three are kind of the spots where we'll see historically and probably this time around where we I'm, generally see a lot of overtakes you know i but as you point that out i am bullish on the run from the straight from the exit to 10 up through let's say 13 um and then who knows with that following straight because like cars could not follow each other through fast corners totally. right? like they couldn't do it at all if they can actually like stay in touch with each other through those through s's the game done changed if yeah, if, <laughs> if f1 cars can follow each other through through sweepers then all bets are off completely like a match because turn to turn 13 is a, a high braking zone it's not a very slow corner no, but not. in terms of the speed you take into it 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 there's a big decrease so there's an opportunity there and it's also got bunches of runoff and if you know i'm not sure with the weight of the cars it's uphill the whole way so uh, i suspect that's helpful for the ground effect as well i don't i guess i don't know but maybe that's less of an issue with the porpoising but so i'm wondering if that happens then we're going to see fights in that into sector down sector 3 as well and especially if yeah. drs is less of an issue then maybe you know maybe, maybe the it's whole all, maybe maybes. from 10 on the entire track <laughs> is like green for overtakes up to 1 which it never was before so but it's so, it's but it's <laughs> Watch, impossible to in tell in weeks time we're going to be know. sitting here being like no overtaking. Uh, so obviously that was the worst <laughs> F1 race in history. Um, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to tell. It's like I, I'm trying to be optimistic about it, but I am very aware that we could it could very well just be quite my, similar. My actual guess, though, is crazy amount of yellows um, because I think we're going to see a lot of spins. Hmm. Y- yeah, like and mind yeah. you, there's enough runoff. Maybe they don't trigger a bunch of like full course cautions but just everything i've heard about these cars is with the exception of maybe the red bull everything tends to sort of slip out from under these drivers and you got to believe psychologically it's going to be completely different when these guys see like their target in front of them versus just trying to like set good pace and this, uh, this track has slow speed corners in a way that yeah. other will- some other ones don't. Like one, one will be tricky, but eight and ten, as Rob said, like with that camber as well. Those are those are weird corners with multiple ways in and out of them. So you know, cars will be close to each other. Um, so yeah, man, can't wait. Yeah, the weather seems to be cooperating. Um, looks like we've got around seventy degrees or twenty one Celsius uh, for qualifying day. A uh, little bit, a couple degrees cooler for race day. No precipitation. Um, <laughs> looks like uh, 40% humidity and a little bit of wind. Looks like 14 miles an hour 
on mm. qualifying day. That'll if it if that's blown across across the track, that'll make some difference. And uh, a little a little uh, slower, nine miles an hour um, uh, on race day. That's fourteen kilometers an hour on race day, or twenty three kilometers an hour on qualifying. Um, that's it for the track. Uh, you can join our fantasy league. Yes. Yeah. Formula One has fantasy sports um, by clicking the link in the show notes and using the, the join code. Uh, you can also send us an email, Danny, over at shiftf one podcast at gmail.com or through the form on our website, f1.cool slash emails. Yeah, we got a couple of emails. We got a lot of emails about Drive to Survive. We're going we're gonna to hold off on that. for. We got a lot to talk about that with them. Uh, with, um, the the Patreon podcast and also let's leave some time for people to watch it uh, before we start diving into it um so aside from that uh we got a couple of little nice ones i thought considering we had the start of a season and we have done nothing as you can just tell from the track walk part we do nothing but make our predictions and and <laughs> wonder about the future i thought this email from kdk might be funny drew okay kdk writes in preparation for the season opener next week, I'm going back to listen to your 2019 season episodes. It's been fun listening to you guys cover a season where so much happened that I only caught the second half of, uh, plus hearing you all comment on the following. Ferrari looks pretty fast. Maybe they can win this year. Uh, hoping Danny Rick does well at Renault. Mm. Who is this Lando guy? Is he any good? <laughs> Valtteri seems to have improved his headspace. Maybe he can win this year. Uh, boy, that is just a repeating. It's a revolving door. Uh, this new Drive to Survive show is awesome. Uh, and how well can the new racing director take over from Charlie Whiting? Wow. Yeah. So F1 is uh, a, if nothing, it's like a telenovela. You just, everything changes. All your thoughts and wishes they all get, sometimes it takes a year, like Mazepin, sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but if nothing, it is not a soap opera. Yes. Uh, Katie also says, I'm requesting you do a primer for W Series with their new teams and drivers for a patron episode. Uh, they seem to be going through some interesting changes. Uh, yes, we. so we actually did a, a W Series primer um, for the Patreon. Last year, but wasn't it? Yeah, it was last yeah, year. Yeah. We also released it um, publicly for everyone. It's episode 159, if you'd go, like to go back uh, and listen to that. Um, I will also post it in the show notes. Uh, but yes, they they have been sort of mm. shifting. So W Series is the, um, the women-only open-wheel racing series. They race effectively Formula 3 cars. Um, and we talk about why we need that and why that's a good idea uh, in, in the primer. Um, but they have been overgoing uh, some changes in that they are shifting to more of a team, like a company owned team model rather than right. just like you just race in W series and you get paid to do it. Um, and it's, it's a little, it's a little weird. Also, Jamie Chadwick, the the, yeah. the two time champion is back, which is kind of unfortunate because it means that she didn't, get a good drive anywhere else i you know one thing she might be doing is holding off uh until she gets a good seat um because you don't want to like join like you see this in formula one a lot a driver just takes a spot in haas for example and then they just sort of wash out 
Um, but you, but you can, it's, it's so unfortunate. She had to, yeah, she put up like a, a Twitter video talking about it. It's, it's a, like it's it's demonstrative of the reason why like they need a W series and how yeah. it also still isn't solving these systematic issues where like she couldn't secure funding. You know, there were plenty of other open wheel race opportunities that could you could imagine getting into, but it just hasn't been able to happen when you when you've such a dominant champion and such a terrifically yeah. consistent racer not being able to do it you're like ah come on like what are we doing here so yeah like i'm sure she didn't want to be back either but yeah you're right there's a lot there's a lot of interesting stuff happening this year over there too yeah uh rob you want to take this one from absolutely don I'm a new fan of F1. I started watching in 2020. I've enjoyed your preseason primer the last two years and the weekly podcast as well. You taught me a good bit. One thing I don't recall in the primer is much discussion about the fuel use, quantities allocated to each race, consumption allowed, i.e. Vettel's DQ and Hungary last year, any discussion about the power plants. Maybe I'm too much of a geek, and I understand you have a limited amount of time. Again, I enjoy your podcast and look forward to it each week. Best regards, Don, Columbia. I, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? Because fuel was such a big part yeah, of the for so long. Yeah, that, but yeah, it's not it, anymore. So no, it's not. It's, uh, like, like it, I think it, we tend to talk about like variables that are like very controllable by the teams. The, the and we brought up the Vettel disqualification, but the reason that was noteworthy is because it was such a fluke, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. it is. Teams are not playing with. Like fuel strategy doesn't exist in that way anymore. You do have to control like consumption like via pace a bit, but uh, yeah, it, it tends not to be something that I certainly don't think about it. Uh, you know, very much at all these days, um, because it, it tends only to arise toward in these very edge cases where somebody miscalculated uh, about like how much they they burned. And remember, even there. Aston Martin was convinced they had that fuel somewhere in the car. Right, um, yeah. It was just like... Shake it around a bit. Yeah. Rock it back and forth, you know? <laughs> yeah, just, just to reset here. Um, we So Formula One used to do refuel. They used to refuel the cars during pit stops, but now they just fuel them up at the beginning in the garage before the race starts with enough fuel to go to the end. You're only allowed uh, 100 kilograms of fuel. Uh, and they weigh, they weigh it. It's not a volume measure because the fuel changes in size depending on temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, the only real, there are fuel flow requirements. You can't send too much fuel to your engine um, because they want to make these engines efficient um, for, you know, uh, the, the trickle down theory that F1 uh, technology goes into efficient fuel uh, in um, uh, road cars. But so they feel it once uh, and then the only really regulation that they have to worry about is, is there enough fuel? I think it's a, is it a liter Um, at the end of the race left in your car so that the FIA, the governing body can sample the fuel uh, at random and make sure that you're not putting anything weird in it. Uh, The case with Vettel was that his car did not have, um, that amount of fuel remaining in it because of some weird like pressurization thing that accidentally mm. pumped the fuel out of the car. Um, but yes, that's the, we, we don't usually talk about fuel because it's really not um, a yeah. thing that, that really comes up uh, except for those weird cases. And the, uh, the, 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 the weight of the cars this year would mean that it would be even less of, of a factor because it's taking up even less of the sort of overall weight of, 
of the cars. Um, yeah, the only the only time fuel really becomes an issue like that Vettel situation is when sometimes you'll see cars stopping on the track, not driving the whole way back around right. to park Fermi or whatever um because they're worried that there are and they're kind of on the edge of running out of fuel well they also introduced um i can't remember if it's in effect for this year but the uh like percentage of biofuel uh required now um, right yes is is a thing so uh, i think it's like nine percent up from six matia bonato was like oh yeah this is actually going to negatively affect performance and anyone who's saying that it doesn't is lying because like the fuel does have different qualities. Mm. Um, but it's like, it, it's kind of going to affect everyone. Uh, and also to a degree, it's, it's a bit of F1 greenwashing itself. So like yeah. the, the, the <laughs> little like, uh, it's, it's not even really called, are they called renewables? How, how do you define like these bullshit categories of fuel? I don't know, man. Just flax. comes out green. Gas, it's green fuel, but it's, it's just it's still gas, but it yeah. just looks green. Sludge. Yeah. It's actually yeah. nuclear waste. Um, and then the last email here from Graham uh, says, Hey, guys, love the pod. I've been an F1 fan since around 2014. I'm sort of bored and looking to watch some older seasons. If you were to suggest a season or two pre-2014, which stand out to you as the most exciting or interesting. Thanks. Well, Graham, first of all, hopefully 2022 will keep you nice and entertained. Um but yeah, I think it's pretty easy to recommend uh, 2012 was a was a kind of an all-timer. Uh, that's the year that my mate Joe got me back into F1 after a couple of years away. Uh, after probably like a decade away, really. Um, no spoilers, Danny. No, no, I'm not going to spoil anything. 2012 was a real great, all, the whole way through the season was terrific. And then 2007, um, which is notable for being uh, Hamilton's first season, uh, was, uh, was also another terrific season uh both of those uh competitive throughout uh, and lots of interesting moments in there so those are the two i'd mention uh, i think they're kind of consensus answers as well do you guys have any other ones i'm, I'm it's, I would it's toss 98 kind of, 99 out there if you want to capture hmm. catch the uh mclaren ferrari rivalry um at its height, maybe in the uh, certainly at its height in the nineties, uh, like in, during the Schumacher era, uh, maybe the maybe the rivalry was even more intense, like back in the eighties. Uh, but I, but I think like uh, for stuff that I think those should be fairly easy to dig up. Uh, those seasons ninety eight ninety nine uh, have some real Clash of the Titans uh, energy mm. to them. Yeah, and you can watch those. Uh, if you are a F1 TV subscriber, I think both tiers will get you access to the the archive awesome. of, uh, of F1 seasons. Cool. And that's beans. it for emails. Yeah. You can also uh, hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That is us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing? Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah. All right. Well. On Friday, we have the World Endurance Championship 1,000 miles of Sebring at the Sebring International Raceway in Sebring, Florida. Mm. Uh, Formula 2 and Formula 3 will be supporting Bahrain for the season opener. Great. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is also at Sebring for the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring. It's not even 1,000 miles. How many miles is that, hey? It's probably Uh, more. 
It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Uh, we also have... That's right. Camping World Truck is back for the... Honk, honk. Not quite sure how to say this. I guess the Freight 208. Oh, that's good. It is spelled F-R and then the numeral Freight. 8. Hmm. Is that anything? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is also racing on Saturday. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Camping World Truck is at the Atlanta Motor Speedway in mm. Hampton, Georgia, as is the NASCAR Xfinity Series for the Nally Cars 250. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my. Sunday, March 20, at the Atlanta Motor Speedway for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip. 500 nothing's more honorable than quick trip doesn't sound too quick it's 500 miles mm. get a big gulp <laughs> uh and there's formula one there maybe is. you've heard of it uh oh my gosh i completely forgot what i forgot to look at sunday on this calendar there's even more oh my there gosh. is uh the moto moto grand prix i'm sorry motocross grand prix of argentina uh at in um who Nukin in Patagonia. Mm. Uh, there's also the Moto Grand Prix Grand Prix of Indonesia at the, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, but it's a street circuit. <laughs> uh, and IndyCar is back Man. at the Texas Motor Speedway in Everything's Fort Worth, up. Texas. Oh, yeah. It's racing season, everyone. I am. But Formula I One. I am so nervous about IndyCar. They have a huge field again. And mm. Oh, yeah. Add more cars to an oval, like gets more dangerous, and yeah. so I'm, I'm like, I feel like it's it's one of those things where it has been X number of years yeah. since our last horrific IndyCar mm-hmm. oval accident, and I'm like, like I like IndyCar a lot. The ovals make me nervous, um, and especially like when you've got it was a traffic jam at St. Petersburg, um, so I'm 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 kind of curious what what that's all going to look like, but. Uh, man, am I stoked for the sports car racing on Friday and Saturday? Get that. Man, it's been ten years since Dan Weldon, and that or, that is crazy. It's been twelve, or eleven, yeah. eleven yeah. years. That is time. Time is playing tricks on us, folks. That's why we have the arrow screen. Which, yeah, <laughs> but it's only been a couple years since. Uh, well, it's been four years since Robert Wickens' uh, crash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Gosh. Yeah. They have there has been talk I heard over the past couple of months about Halo and Indy, but they've kind of gone all in on the on the, the arrow um, screen. The screen. Will Buxton was trying to start something. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's what it was. It was on Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah. It was God. like most drivers. Are, yeah. Yeah, and then it was just a parade of drivers being like, "The hell are you talking about, Buxton?" It was great. Uh. <laughs> okay, Bahrain Grand Prix 2022 kicks off Friday, March 18th at 5 a.m. Pacific time. Let's do Eastern times as we usually do. 8 a.m. Pacific for free practice one that airs on Eastern. ESPN two. Yeah, 8 a.m. Eastern. Practice two is uh, 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN News. Saturday, March 19, practice three kicks off at 8 a.m. on ESPN two. Then qualifying on uh, ESPN News at 11 a.m. And the race, everyone, Sunday, March 20th, 11 a.m. on ESPN. And we uh, we tweet um, all those race times and channels uh, from our Twitter account uh, the Thursday ahead of the race weekend. Thanks, Drew. FYI. Yeah. This beautiful branded picture. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you. I am a. My wife uh, very kindly got me a uh, a trip, uh, overlanding trip, into the into Death Valley this weekend. So I am going to be. Oh my <laughs> despite, god! Despite religiously watching every race live, I am going to be in the middle of nowhere with no cell signal for four days. Wow. So uh, I am coming home on Monday and I am going to la 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 my way into the house. <laughs> Don't look at Twitter. <laughs> nope. This look was a lot easier to pull off before F1 popularity increased. I know. 100%. Yeah. It used to be like I didn't have to worry at all about like hearing race results and now like never. You know, ESPN will post like multiple updates and yeah, like you gotta awful. watch yourself now. <laughs> if you follow us on Twitter, I, I also don't... I, Mostly, I'm the one on behind the Twitter account. I mo- I do not uh, post things about the results because mm. I know people, you know, have take the whole week to watch the um, watch the races. That said, you know, the algorithm is your enemy. So yeah. if you follow Shift F1, you never really know uh, what Twitter is going to recommend to you. So be careful out there. Uh, final thoughts ahead of this first race of the season, Danny O'Dwyer. Just can't wait very excited yeah. trying not to think about the fact that i'll have to wait next year a couple of days everyone else and yeah like well this is it this has been two years plus of wondering if these cars will make the difference we'll see a shake-up for sure but i think outside of the which car is the best i think there is a big question over how did this work out how did this big test to make driver cars be able to f- follow each other work and that's what i'm excited to see I'm just imagining a out there in the desert, like a you know a fighter jet doing training, sky riding in the air. Kevin Magnuson <laughs> wins Bahrain Grand Prix. Hey, you know what? I'll t- if that's how I find out, that's not bad. That sounds yeah. pretty cool. Uh, Rob, final thoughts. Um, you know, I like to ma- I don't like to make predictions, um, <laughs> but I think I can say with confidence that uh, every corner. It's open for overtaking. Uh, it's going to be just a non-stop, uh, action-packed Grand Slam of an F1 race. Don't, don't um, jinx it. Yeah, I, I think we're going we're gonna to look at this era, and it's going to be like, you know, this is the golden age of F1. Uh, Ron Howard's going to make a movie just about this race. Um, he's going he's he's to option it uh, by, by the time the white flag is shown. Uh, bet on it, people. Well, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. <laughs>